It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered. Joining us today, Paul Himbakides, Himbo, the top researcher and producer for ESPN. He does the show Get Up, and you also hear him on Buster Olney's podcast, Baseball Tonight. Himbo is going to join us. Mark Simon, the Fielding Bible, is out. He works with Bill James and Sports Info Solutions, used to be with ESPN, the Fielding Bible. We're going to find out who's better. Is it Matt Chapman or Nolan Arenado, the two high school teammates considered the two best third basemen in all of baseball? One is better than the other. Who's it going to be? We're going to find out here on A's Unfiltered. And then we are going to have the annual. Happens every single year during spring training. Ray Fossey sits down with Billy Bean. They do it every single year, so we're going to throw that in there today. But we're going to start out with our old buddy, Himbo from ESPN. Himbo, how have you been? We've missed you here on A's Cast. It's been too long, my friend. I actually tried to hop on last week. I was told you were traversing the entire East Coast of the United States. So I was sort of itching to get to get in my Astros takes, but they had to wait one week. But I hope you enjoyed yourself out there. Oh, my God. D.C. to Philly to New York. Uh, I know we talked about it off the air. If I, and I didn't even tell you this. The other thing we did, I, I, I surprised my kids with Hamilton tickets. And then uh, oh, we, we also went to Wicked because <laughs> my girls are actresses. So we went to Wicked and Hamilton. Broadway was amazing. I mean, I, I try to tell everybody, the East Coast, there's so much history in D.C in Philly, it's a must-see. My, uh, my uncle does all the percussion for Wicked. I, I am, at best, the second most famous person in my family. <laughs> well, let's get into some deep. Let's get into, since, since, since we're talking about where you live in New York, the Yankees are falling apart early here in spring training. They sure are. Buster asked me this morning on a 1-10 to 10 scale where I would sort of place this Luis Severino injury. And I told him a six or seven, and the reason for it is because it sort of piggybacks on the James Paxton injury. It's funny. About a month or so ago, I was ready to shoot him, off, shoot him an email and say, we should write a piece, a stats-driven piece, to suggest that the Yankees have a real chance at 120 wins, a real chance at the record. I felt that way because the roster they put together, if healthy, presumably should run away with the division and then some more in a really weak American League. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And the Paxton injury hit, so I, you know, I, I put that email in my draft, and then once the Severino injury hit, I finally deleted the email because, in my judgment, this is a pretty significant blow for a team that doesn't really have a ton of depth when it comes to their starting pitching. They could probably afford the Giancarlo Stanton injury as an example, which we also learned of uh, today, much more than they can afford 
major injuries to their starting rotation. So obviously a $324 million investment into Garrett Cole should go a long way in, in, in sort of riding the ship and setting them as long as they can. But I do think that pretty early on in the season, they'll identify some veteran pitchers, guys on bad teams who might be available at the trade market, and they might not wait till July. Jeff Samarja is one guy that I think they'll have a lot of interest in, and Chris Archer is another. Those guys aren't going to necessarily jump off the page, but I'd be surprised if the Yankees rotation in June looks the same way that it does right now. And you mentioned Stanton and the calf. It's just this guy, I mean, when he's healthy, he can be a monster. It's just he's never healthy. Yeah, uh, that dude never plays. And at some point, and it might be now, you have to really start wondering if that's just a sunk cost. Like it might be, you might be at a point here with your team building, if you're Brian Cashman, that you have to count on him not playing. As crazy as that is to sound, considering he once signed the largest contract in sports history, this is a player that they didn't even trade much for, but they obviously absorbed a lot of salary in doing so. You know, the idea of having Judge and Stanton together was such an attractive commodity for them. And the fact that we've seen it so infrequently, I mean, the one sort of full season he had, Stanton wasn't you know, all that good. He took a big step back, and Judge was hurt for a considerable amount. I don't know what's in the water over here, man, but if I were a Yankees fan, I would be mortified because in my, like, the, the Tampa Bay Rays, that's a, a roster that I am enamored by. The Yankees are not going to be able to, to skate their way to a division title. I still think they should be considered the favorite to do it, but the Stanton injury coupled with the Paxton injury coupled with the Severino injury coupled with the, the, um, you know, the, 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 the uh, domestic violence suspension as well to uh, – Herman, we're talking about like a lot of things here where you know this team you know on paper at one point looked like a juggernaut. Now I'm not so sure they're allowed to win their own division. Yeah, when you mention the Rays, we know how tough the Rays are going to be. And still, what, what do you think's going to happen with Boston? Because they're, they're there's got they're still investigating. Something's going to go down. Do you think what what kind of chances do you give Boston? It's kind of like the Astros. What we'll get into when you're playing a season and you're playing a season under total chaos. So I don't think that total chaos is the best way to describe what the Red Sox will be playing under. From from all the people that I've talked to. What the Red Sox will get in relation to the Astros is a slap on the wrist, for lack of a better term. And Alex Cora is going to wear that way more than anyone else. They'll probably be hit with a fairly insignificant fine that, you know, I mean, a couple million dollars. And at this point in his life, John Henry wouldn't bend over to pick up a couple hundred million dollars if it was on the sidewalk, obviously. That's not going to deter them from doing much in the future and maybe a draft pick or two. But based on the the, the information that I have, we're not going to get news this week. And uh, even when we do, I don't think it's going to really shake the world. And I know that there are some people out there that feel like the Red Sox have a real opportunity to surprise this year. And I just don't see it. Like the pitching staff is in shambles. Like I, I think to put it kindly, and you can't trade a, a six, seven win player in Mookie Betts, replace him with someone who, who, who won't likely produce half of that and expect to get any better than, than they were a year ago. I, mean, I think they're going to hit, they're going to hit some and we know they're going to hit some, but I think you can say that about most teams in the American league. And, you know, one of the things that made Ricky Henderson one of the greatest players of all time was because he let off. And when you lead off, you get more at-bats. You get more opportunities to score. No one has scored more runs than Ricky Henderson in the history of the game. No one has more lead-off home runs to lead a game off than Ricky Henderson. And now we're starting to see maybe a trend going back old school. Well, hey, take your best player and have him bat first because he's going to get the most at-bats that you can possibly get in a season. And the Cubbies are going to do that with Chris Bryant. How do you like it? 
So I can contextualize this for you a little bit. To answer your question in short, I like it, but I like it more as a philosophy in the American League. But nevertheless, last year the Cubs leadoff hitters ranked dead last in, in Major League Baseball in both batting average and on-base percentage. They, they, they posted an on-base percentage collectively of 294, which is almost unfathomable. 11 different guys batted leadoff for them. Six of those guys did it at least 10 times. So, I mean, you know, to say it was a revolving door would be an understatement. But you mentioned the opportunity. Last year the average team, their leadoff hitters came to, play, came to the plate 760 times. That was 18 more times than their two-hitter, 35 more times than their three-hitter, and 52 more times than their four-hitter. So we already know that. Like, we're putting numbers to stuff we already know. If you bat leadoff, you are likely a, like you're going to bat the most possible times. The one area that I just can't quite reconcile, at least when it comes to Chris Bryant and in the National League, is that in the National League, the leadoff hitter by a pretty considerable margin, and not surprisingly, saw the fewest uh, number of plate appearances with men on base. That's just how it goes. So the, the Cubs will likely get cute with how they uh, stack the bottom of their lineup. We know Joe Madden likes to hit their pitcher eighth. I'm sort of lukewarm on that idea. But one thing that is for certain is I think Chris Bryant is more than capable of doing this well. In fact, he was the Cubs' best leadoff hitter last year, even though he never did it once. He batted 333, the 448 on base, and a 632 slugging when leading off an inning. So I, I, he is absolutely up for the occasion. What I don't know is if you're going to love the idea of him hitting 25 solo home runs this year. Yeah, and then it makes me think of the best player in the game. And, 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 and it kind of became – a new thing is having your best hitter not hit third, hit second. We start seeing Trout and Donaldson do that when Donaldson was with the Blue Jays. But going in this theory, would you hit Trout first? I would hit Trout second. I would be more likely, more inclined, I should say, to hit Trout first in the American League because you're not dealing with the, the lineup wraparound, uh, quite, obviously quite to the same extent, which we know. But still, what the math tells me is that you hit your best hitter second you hit your best run producer fourth because that is the uh, place in the batting order in which you are going to see, on average, the most men on base. And after that, I go from there. In my opinion, the Angels are doing it right by hitting Trout second because he's such an extraordinary run producer that you just don't want him coming up too many times without anybody on base because it becomes then so easy to put him on intentionally or otherwise. Right, can you imagine that? Trout leading off, and then you go Otani hitting second, then you go Rendon hitting third. <laughs> that would be pretty interesting. That, that's a video game lineup. But I, I will say this, like, there are a lot of people really, really optimistic about the Angels this year. I think Pakoda gives them nearly a 50-50 chance to make the playoffs, which sort of surprised me. This is a staff that had an ERA last year north of five. Only three teams have ever made the playoffs with an ERA north of five. And all three of those teams did it during the very heart of the steroid era in the late 90s. And I don't see on paper all that much of an improvement. With the, like if the Angels are going to make the playoffs, they're going to have to score close to, if not more than 900 runs. So you're, you're asking both, I think you're asking Trout and Rendon to produce somewhere in the neighborhood of 16, 18, even 20 wins above replacement in order for them to get there. That is a lot to ask. I'm so glad you said that because you add Tehran and Bundy, and I'm like, so what? I mean, how are you going to get 20s? I know they're going to score runs, and they're, they're going to be fun to watch. How are they going to get 27 outs on a consistent basis? <laughs> Uh, they're not. Uh, Tehran's a, wa a washed-up league average pitcher at best, and you know the, the, the Orioles gave Bundy every opportunity to succeed, and he just, you know, he, he just couldn't maintain his body and never develop, develop secondary stuff. And the Angels aren't an organization that I have been given any reason to believe is going to develop 
pitchers internally. They just don't do that all that well. So I do uh, I did second the notion of signing Anthony Rendon. You have the money. You can create a ridiculous lineup, or at least the very top of it. And they're going to catch the ball too. Like they're going to they're a very interesting team. But I, I think a lot of teams, at least if the ball doesn't change too much, a lot of teams are going to hit. I think that may, might be one of the very worst pitching rotations among any team that, to have a real chance at the playoffs. All right, I've been teased. Cody gave me this. There's two position players poised for a breakout in 2020, and one is an Oakland A? The first is a Minnesota twin, and that gentleman's name is Mitch Garver. You know him well. He uh, posted an OPS plus last season of 156. Guys, that was the highest mark for any catcher since Buster Posey's MVP season. That number was enhanced by the number one isolated power in the sport. He ranked first in that statistic. Mike Trout ranked second. Secondly, I think the power is real because he controls the strike zone so well. His chase rate was the seventh lowest among 273 hitters with at least 300 plate appearances last season, and his home run rate inside the strike zone was the highest in the majors. And lastly, he owned the lowest catcher ERA among all Twins catchers and greeted as their best pitch framer. So, look, this is I'm not sure how, how well-known this guy is nationally or even to your audience specifically, but I would not be surprised if we're talking about Mitch Garver as the best catcher in the American League six months from now. Wow. Who's the A? The A, you guys know him well, but I think there's a really good chance that the nation will six months from now, and that, that person is Ramon Laureano, and I got stats to back it up. I'm, I am in love with this guy's profile. First, as you know, he has already flashed an elite bat. In 260 plate appearances from June on last season, guys, his flash line was 314, 371, 624. That's a league-adjusted batting line that ranked eighth over that span as measured by weighted runs created plus. So we know that he has flashed. He has the ability to hit like that over a long stretch of time. Secondly, this is an adjustment that he made that you probably can remember. He has an elite profile to his pull side. During the aforementioned time frame, Oriano batted 507 with a slugging percentage of over 1,100 when pulling the baseball. Both of those figures ranked in the top five in all of baseball during that time. And lastly, and this is the only thing that people around the country I think really know about him, He's got the best throwing arm in the sport. He played only 123 games last season, ranked second behind only Victor Robles in outfield runs saved. Further, and I know this is sort of murky because the, the metrics are sort of hit or miss on him, but as measured by fielding runs above average, that is baseball prospectuses, uh, all-encompassing proprietary defensive metrics, fielding runs above average, he graded as the fifth best outfielder in all of baseball last season. That is a really tantalizing profile for somebody who I think most, like, Casual fans around around the country don't know that much about. What say you? Uh, I love about him. He's got a football mentality. He is like one of these guys that views every game as a fight. And he wants to go out there and he wants to kick your ass. So not only what you're saying stat-wise, but that personality-wise, he is a winning player. The Astros really did not want to lose him. They just didn't have room. And he's blossomed. And if he stays healthy... As you mentioned, he, he can be a prime-time player, and I just love that attitude, that gamer, where he comes out every day ready to bring it. Yeah, I mean, if he was on the Astros in 2017, he probably would have broken a few trash cans with how hard he could bang that thing. Like, he, <laughs> he, abs- like, he, he, he looks like a, like, a, like sort of like a safety out there, the way that he uh, plays the outfield, the way that he runs the bases. But what I didn't know about him, what I didn't know about him was how well he hit during the summer months of last season and how he seemed to adjust and try to catch the ball out front, 
and destroy the baseball to his pull side. When I watch him play this year, I'm going to be watching that. And I hope you guys are too, because we're talking about a guy who I think legitimately has a chance to be a five or six win player in 2020 if he stays healthy. Yeah, we're 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 really excited about 2020 with the A's himbo. I, I you know they're just when your only battle in spring training is second base and backup catcher, it tells you you you, you got a lot of you got a lot of locked in in your core players, and you get a full season of Frankie Montas. Hopefully, a rebound year from Chris Davis. That's like adding two free agents. Yeah, I I, I said this on your program before and others. I could not be a bigger fan of the young pitching that, that you guys have developed and seems now uh, you know, ready to thrive. And I think the biggest question mark, though, when it comes to the A's is what kind of drop-off do we expect from Houston? I, talked to, I was talking to Mark Teixeira about this uh, last week. He's genuinely of the belief that all this noise is going to affect performance, not just because it's going to be hard for them to manage all of the chaos, but because every team is going to give you your best shot. And because it's going to be so difficult to stay, to stay strong mentally over the course of half a year, like to, to play baseball that way for seven, eight months has literally never been done. We're talking about like a team full of Barry Bonds. We're talking about a team full of A-Rods after they became pariahs, right? That's the whole team. Even, even, guys, that weren't on that, even guys that weren't on that team are going to be roundly booed any, anytime they, you know, anytime they you know, sit on a breaking ball and hit it out of the ballpark or, 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 any, you know, or anything for that matter, to be candid. So, I'm of the opinion that there is a lot of things that we can't really measure or quantify in that division this season. It obviously starts there, but I'm telling you, I am all in on your club. And, and as we get closer to, to the start of the season, I'm hoping to dig up some more nuggets for you. As a big baseball fan, how do you feel about the Astros? Um, I feel like the Astros put themselves in a position to be looked at the same way that the 1919 White Sox did. I don't think this, I, I think, I think the Black Sox, I think that whole thing, that whole scandal is going to be viewed similar to this in 100 years. I, I genuinely do because uh, base, look, base, like any sport, but baseball in particular, like there is such an importance to its purity and, and to its sanctity and to not just diminish it, but to, to scoff in, in the face at it and then be defiant when caught to me is one of the most unattractive things I have ever seen. And, the, and, and I am convinced, beyond convincing, but the Astros would not have won the World Series that year if it weren't for this scheme because they were so extraordinary offensively that it is not, it is not possible, in my judgment. It is not possible. They could have been nearly that good if it weren't for the sign stealing. There's no bigger advantage you can have in sports than that. Guys, the Astros, by OPS+, Plus, the 2017 Astros graded as the fourth best lineup in the modern era. The only three lineups better, the only three lineups better were anchored by both Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. So you tell me, you tell me. What is likelier that knowing what knowing what pitch was coming was such a big advantage, or they they genuinely put together murderers row? I think anyone in an honest moment would tell you the answer is A. Yeah, Tom Verducci had it out there today on MLB Network about the World Series where Clayton Kershaw, one of the best pitchers of his time, threw fifty-one sliders and curveballs in a game in the World Series and got zero swing and misses, zero. Well. <laughs> The, the stat guy in me has to issue a correction because I went back and watched that game the other day. There was one. He struck out Jose Altuve on a breaking ball to end the first inning. From that point on, he threw 43. None resulted in a swing and miss. But your point remains the same. Look, there, it, Clayton Kershaw possesses one of the best pitch mixes ever, like legitimately ever, and he dominated that lineup when he saw them like a week before. So, again, it is – even though we didn't hear banging during the game, even though they probably changed the way in which they were you know, getting, getting the information, 
it, it is impossible that I mean, Clayton Kershaw was spotted like a, a huge lead like two or three times in that game. Like it had appeared to us that he had exercised his demons only to come find out, you know, two years later that it wasn't on the up and up. See, at ESPN, you're forced to talk NBA. You're forced to talk NFL. This is your outlet for you to talk baseball. This is like, you know, like the, the, the once a week, like I, I get like let out of the cage and I can just go nuts. Like I'm just, you guys are like my, my trampoline park. You guys are my, you're my, you're my, you're my padded room where I can just throw myself off the wall. Um, and I appreciate you letting me just, just, just vomit all over everywhere with my baseball thoughts. But look, you guys, you guys are the best. Uh, I hope to, you know, hopefully do this as often as I can during the season, once a week, even as I'm uh, put, you know, putting together stuff for, you know, for the baseball tonight podcast and, and the ESPN broadcast and all the rest of it. But I, uh, I appreciate you letting me out of my cage as always. Anytime we'd love to have you on weekly. You are the, you're the top researcher in the business, my man. <laughs> uh, that's very kind of you to say. Uh, I won't tell any of the people that's on me. So uh, you're a good man and let's, uh, let's do it again soon. We'll talk to you, Himbo. Later, boys. I'm really looking forward to the fact that we could be getting him every single week. Just like Buster only gets him every single week, if we get him here on A's cast, that will be a really big deal. Well, defense. Defense has been the hallmark of the A's for the past couple years. Remember when this team made a ton of errors and they weren't very good? Well, now they don't make a ton of errors, and now they are dominant on defense. They're dominant in the corners. First base, third base, left field, right field, dominant shortstop. A's defense is spectacular. And a lot of people have wondered, with all these gold gloves and platinum gold gloves between Nolan Arenado and Matt Chapman, two high school teammates, who's actually better? What do the numbers say? Well, Mark Simon from the Fielding Bible, which is now out, and Sports Info Solutions going to tell us, is it Chapman or Arenado that's the better defender? You're going to find out right now. Here is Mark Simon. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, our buddy Mark Simon. Of course, Mark is is going to be coming on today to talk about the Fielding Bible and the Fielding Bible Awards, uh, also Sports Info Solutions. Uh, Just a great time of the year. It's spring training. Baseball's back. Yes, it's so good. It's so good to be back Uh, and hopefully talking about things other than uh, cheating, I guess. Yeah, you know, it, it's hard not to talk about it, and it's dominated the off season, and it, it, it looks like it's going to continue for a while. It's just, it's inevitable. It is. Uh, that's why I'll come on to the show to talk about other things. So let's talk about the fielding Bible that comes out, and everybody who hardcore baseball people love it, the new edition. Talk about it coming out and where we can get it. Sure. Fielding Bible Volume 5 is a book by uh, our company's owner, John Duan, uh, myself, and a, a, a one of our other people here, Brian Reef, uh, who's a researcher and uh, a computer uh, programmer expert uh, here. So the three of us uh, have put together the fifth uh, version of this book, which is, I guess you would call it a compendium or an encyclopedia of defensive stats. Uh, it is uh, traces kind of the history of the defensive stats that we come up with, which includes the one that I think some people know, Defensive Run Saved, and uh, it features all the different additions and tinkerings that we've done to it over the years. We've done some significant tinkering to it uh, very recently, uh, and that is uh, essentially Oakland A's pertinent uh, because it it makes uh, Matt Chapman look even better than he is. He's the cover boy for the book. Uh, it's a great photo. Uh, certainly recommend it. And uh, 
Yeah, that that's uh, you can find it at acta a c t a sports dot com. Uh, it's a book that uh, if you like learning new things, if you like baseball analytics, if you like baseball defense, uh, it's a good combination and a good book to read. Well, of course, we do right here on A's Cast Live. And before we start talking about the A's and the different players, why did you feel it was important? to come up with this and to create this for years, we really didn't have very good defensive metrics. Yeah. Um, so the, the origin of that question and answer dates back to 2003 with our company's owner, John DeWan, who founded StatSync, uh, working with Bill James to come up with better ways to evaluate things. And one of the things that they do, that they, they assessed that was important was the idea of, uh, comparing a player to his peers at his position with regards to how ma- how often was he able to get to the ball? Not just did he field the ball, but like how often did he get to the ball? Meaning that the balls that he missed were as important as the balls that he fielded. And they developed this system. And it's, it's as simple as this. Uh, there's a ground ball, a short. Uh, let's say it's a play that's made 20% of the time and you make the play. You get a very nice... Uh, spike for that let's say it's a grounder to second and last year profar boots it but it's a play that's made 80 percent of the time he gets dinged for that and dinged for that pretty hard uh and our company has over the last 15 years or so come up with systems to track these things and to accurately portray them statistically uh and uh that's uh, the the change that we made most recently deals with uh positioning and defensive shifting and how positioning used to be more in the domain of the player but now it's very much in the domain of the team because of all the defensive shifting and the manager and the coaches telling players where to go uh so now we're counting we weren't counting in the past plays in which there was a shift now we are counting those so we're counting everything now uh, and that makes a big difference as far as uh, ratings go. It certainly, as I said before, it makes Chapman uh, even better than he is. Hopefully that's a comprehensive enough explanation for you. Can, you can, can I tell you one thing as someone that's got to be at every single game and has to keep score at the game, which just absolutely drives me nuts? I don't know how you feel about this, and I'll, I'll do it from an A's perspective. If a, if a left-handed batter is up, what the A's like to do is they like to move the second baseman just over second base, so he's right up the middle, or maybe a shade a little more on still on the second base side, and then they take Marcus Simeon, and they put Marcus they Simeon in short right field, right? So yep. le- le- left-handed hitter hits the ground ball to Simeon. He actually fields it on the outfield grass, throws the ball over to Olsen, and gets it. And it's still scored a 6-3, and I'm going, wait a minute. He's not playing shortstop. If anything, he's playing short right field. How do we correct this? I think it <laughs> – I don't have a correction, but I think something has to be done. Like, everyone's a rope now. Positions aren't uh, necessarily that important. Um, yeah, you would uh, you would want to do something because it's somewhat misleading to say 6-3. And that's essentially what things like the R stats or the StatCast stats uh, or the other branches that you could go to, uh, what they're there for, where it's we're treating that ground ball in the hole between first and second at Simeon Field. Uh, he's being measured not just against shortstops, he's being measured against everybody uh, and uh, whether or not he made the play or not. And more often than not, I think uh, he did pretty well, right? Because uh, his defensive run save total last year was pretty good. 
so yes, I am with you. There are a lot of issues with scorekeeping. Like we don't keep things like, did the guy slip and fall? Uh, or did the guy keep the ball in the infield to make a really nice play? Uh, those are things that I think you, you wish that they kept, uh, that they don't keep. And by the way, yes, Simeon did have very good uh, numbers uh, when shifted last year. He got a very nice spike for that. Nobody plays short right field as good as Marcus Simeon, as we see all the time. All right, so let's get into the A's and your defensive run save because so many people who don't watch the A's on a daily basis, they think of the A's as this power-hitting team. It's about the home runs, which is true, but really the hallmark of this team winning 97 games two straight years has been their defense. Yes, uh, last year they finished fourth in defensive run saves, and I think they were a pretty good defensive team, but for catcher and second base. Uh, and if you look at it, Olsen was a gold glove, Chapman was a gold glove, but they also had really good numbers in the outfield, which I think is somewhat surprising. They were among the teams that had the highest defensive run save total uh, in left field and right field. Now, I think you might think, okay, what about Loriano's throwing? Loriano has other deficiencies that, that hurt him. Uh, but when you had, like, Chad Pinder, uh, I guess is a good example. Piscotti's not bad. Uh, they had a lot of guys that essentially did no harm. Uh, and that's a tough outfield to play because there's a lot of space, right? Um, so, yes, they are, uh, they are a very good team, especially at the corners. Uh, they'll be a lot better catcher this year, uh, and you would figure that they would probably project to be one of the better uh, defensive teams in baseball. Yeah, a lot of people really don't even know who Chad Pender is, and Chad Pender in college was basically a shortstop uh, through his college years, a middle infielder, and all of a sudden, you know, versatility has become the name of the game when you're having, you know, a 13-man pitching staff. So when you speak of Chad Pender, we started to realize how much StatCast loves Chad Pender. It's, I mean, he's a very good athlete, but a guy who's a career infielder, it's kind of shocking how good he is in the outfield. I'm looking at it right now. He had seven defensive runs saved in essentially a quarter of a season in left field and five defensive runs saved in a quarter of a season in right field. Uh, and a good chunk of that came from his arm uh, and not allowing baseballs to advance on him. Uh, and yes, I think was Larry Christensen um, had a quote that we used in the athletic uh, about his uh, versatility and his impressiveness uh, that they can uh, that he can play multiple positions, uh, whether it be the outfield or come into the infield. Maybe he doesn't rate as well in the infield, uh, but yes, he's uh, he's someone that is. Uh, kind of a hidden gem among uh, outfielders in baseball. And we found out, too, Robbie Grossman. And obviously, Robbie was up for a gold glove. And, and uh, Robbie told us on this program he has a love-hate relationship with StatCast. But uh, obviously, what he's been able to do, Robbie <laughs> Grossman's pretty good. You know, it's hard to believe you have an article in the book about Chapman versus Arenado. And it's hard to believe yep. these two guys were high school teammates. Yes, and, and they were both unbelievable. Uh, it's amazing how the, the, the alignment for that worked out. And um, spoiler alert in the book, uh, the, the subject of the article is not which guy is better. It's more how much better is Chapman than Arenado. And it turns out that the answer is considerably. Uh, and yeah, I think the thing that's impressive with Matt is uh, well, a couple of things. One is that he can play – Short stop, essentially the shortstop spot in a defensive shift. And two, 
uh, he doesn't make mistakes. Like he's cut back on his mistakes considerably. Uh, and I, I do want to get back to Robbie Grossman because you said something that was funny there. You said a love-hate relationship. In 2016, he was at negative 20 defensive run saved. I guess that was the hate time for him because uh, he finished with three defensive runs saved in left field uh, this past year, which is a nice improvement uh, to go from being a player who struggled that much to being uh, – to being uh, essentially a little bit above average. Uh, so, so yes, uh, going back to Chapman, yes, outstanding uh, and uh, considerably better than Arenado, which is somewhat hard to believe. Yeah, I mean, when you say he's a lot, you know, there's a there's a gap, I guess you would say, between Chapman and Arenado and how, how good Arenado has been. Uh, you know, Chapman is special. We see it every single day, and I'll tell you a story where, you know, two guys in their own right were great players. One's a Hall of Famer. It was Jim Palmer and Ray Fossey, and Jim Palmer asked, he goes, Ray, how good really is this guy? Because, you know, Ray's seen just about all the greats for the most part, and he goes, I think he might be the best defensive player at third base that I've ever seen. And these back-to-back platinum gold gloves, the gold gloves, what you're showing us in the numbers, I know it's very early. Can you see Matt Chapman going down as an all-time great defensively? Yeah, I think he kind of already has. I think that the Arenado backers would say, uh, let's see him do it like seven years in a row. And I guess time will tell on that. The key to that is uh, staying healthy and staying uh, limber, and uh, I think that, that would be an interesting story for someone to pursue to see what he's doing to make sure that he's on the field 155 times a game. Uh, the thing that I was thinking about too, well, two things. One, um, the reason that Chapman is so much better is because the hits he's taking away for the most part are doubles, and the hits that Arenado for the most part takes away are singles, and doubles add up. Double essentially a double becomes an out, that's a huge turnaround in terms of the value that you're adding to your team. Um, so there's that. The other thing that's so impressive is his arm is great and his arm's accurate and it has to be accurate in that ballpark because if you throw the ball away, the guy's on third base. Well, yeah, and the thing that we've noticed because his arm is so strong, you know, a couple things here. His arm is so strong, he can play so deep and that allows him to take away the doubles, and he's so athletic that he can come in on the balls. And then, as you mentioned, in the shift, I mean, he really is like a shortstop. It is tough for teams if they want to try and, like, lay down a bunt because he is so athletic he can come in on balls when he's playing short. I I mean, not, not many guys, Mark, can really play second in between second and third and, and cover it all. And, and also, because yeah. of his range at third, it makes Simeon that much better a player. Yeah, I would think that that's true. I should point out, too, that uh, when we're talking about how we changed our system, Matt was getting penalized for playing along the line and deep and missing the ball that was in the hole. Because in our, the old version of our system, it's presuming that he's playing in a spot that he can get to that ball. He can't get to that ball from where he is. Uh, so now, instead of losing huge chunks of value for that ball that goes between shortstop and third base, he just loses a little bit. And the A's suffer a, a little consequence for being the, we have a team positioning rating uh, for putting him in that spot. But he's there for a reason. And the overall value of having him there is uh, is 
huge, as I said, because he's, he's taking away doubles. And yes, I think all-time great is a uh, is a good way to put it. I've, I've been waiting. Alex Coffey had the Brooks Robinson uh, reference in her most recent story on him. I've been waiting for people to do that. You need to do something like that with a, a player who's still young, uh, but the discussion is warranted, it seems like, at this point. Yeah, we have so many great, young, talented players, and these guys are coming in, you know, whether it's 19, 20, 21, 24. These guys come in ready to play and ready con- to contribute. It, it, it's been a lot of fun to watch the, this this young crop of players really dominate the game. Let's end on this. As you tweak the numbers over the years, you know, back in the day when a guy would get a gold glove or two, it just seemed like it just became routine that people would just vote for that same guy over and over again. Have you ever looked back at a player and said, you know what, the more we look at the numbers, this guy was kind of overrated defensively. <laughs> Do we really want to go to Derek Peter? <laughs> <laughs> the Hall of no, Famer? No, we really don't. Right. And the guy who made the great play to get Piambi at the plate. Um, all right. When the, when the early versions of our book existed, there was a really good article that was written by Bill James where he compared Derek Jeter to Adam Everett, essentially using our system of play. And what we found was Derek Jeter was giving up the Yankees were giving up an inordinate number of ground ball base hits up to the middle. Jeter was not able to reach, whereas Adam Everett was able to reach that ball all the time and reach the ball that was in the hole between short and third, which is what Jeter, I think, is pretty well known for. Um, so it established that Jeter's defensive value was not necessarily uh, what it was made out to be by all those Gold Club awards. Uh, it's a really good article. It's actually online if you Google Jeter versus Everett, if you want to see it. That said, that didn't cause Derek Jeter like that much. His offensive accomplishments far outweigh that. But uh, on the defensive side, I think it is fair to say that at least from a statistical perspective, he's not necessarily what people make him out to be. All right, one more time. Tell our fans how they can get the book. All right, you can go to acta, A-C-T-A, sports.com. It is available for order there. Uh, it should be on Amazon.com as well, and Barnes and & Noble, and the places that you would typically get your books. Uh, as I said, if you like defense, if you like learning new things, if you like analytics, and if you like baseball, uh, it is a worthwhile read. Hopefully check it out. You can follow our company at sportsinfo underscore S-I-S, Sports Info Solutions on Twitter. And don't forget Mark Simon at Mark A. Simon says you're also a great (laughs) follow on Twitter. I appreciate that. Thank you for the plug. Hey, good luck and we'll talk to you soon. You got it. How about those findings? That Chapman is just not better than Arenado according to the metrics. He's like way better, which is hard to believe because Arenado's a great player, but Matt Chapman, we know because we watch it every single day, This kid is something special, and you could already say he's an all-time great defender. That's that's some serious high praise. You want two A's legends? Ray Fossey, Billy Bean. Every single spring training, Ray sits down with Billy, and it's always a lot of fun. Here is the face of the franchise with the other face of the franchise. It's Fossey, it's Bean, right here on A's Unfiltered. Billy Bean, the A's Vice President of Baseball Operations, and, and Billy... I would have to think this offseason, a lot of times there's a lot of activity. This season, there was not, this offseason. How much do you look at the club that you left with last year coming forward, with the exception of maybe second base, 
you got a pretty good lineup, pretty good ball club. How much do you look at that and what spring training is going to mean for you? Well, yeah, this is actually probably, and we're usually pretty active in the offseason, and a lot of times because we need to be. And we, either they're losing players or certainly trying to make improvements. But other than what you mentioned, second base, uh, we were pretty much set. And, so the, and quite frankly, I think we like these players here. So the bar was pretty high. Uh, to find players who are going to be better. So as a, as a result, we didn't have a lot of activity. Yeah. I think every team will do something to their bullpen. We, right. That's what we do is we fight, try and find bullpen guys. But by and large, we felt pretty good about the team leaving last year and, and therefore didn't tinker too much with it. Billy, how much do you think the experience of playing in back-to-back years, it's a one-card, wild-card game. Who knows how that's going to change? But the experience your players gained in those two on the big stage, how much do you think that has helped them, especially coming into the season? Well, you, listen, any time you're in a playoff situation, I think it, it's good. I think you're better for it. I think what going into the season, I think what it helps is that they realize the importance of trying to win the division. Exactly. You know, it's just getting yeah. into that one-off is yeah. tough. And you look at uh, Tampa, who was a great team, by the way. Uh, I mean, they went, they pushed Houston to the, uh, you know, uh, the final game. And so uh, you, you just you have to get into that longer series so that uh, your depth phase, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the regular season really is, I think, justified uh, when you play a longer playoffs. And we have one game, anything can happen. And someone asked me, you know, uh, we were talking today, and they asked about, you know, Sean's, you know, pitching in the, in the uh, rotation. You know, he felt bad. I said, well, I felt bad for Sean, but, you know, it wasn't his responsibility. It's one game. Literally anything can happen. And you just want to avoid that. And, uh, and so uh, our goal is to win the division. Billy, one of the things, you've been around this game a long time. You've seen a lot of teams. you played the game. You know the game. As you look at this team, how would you compare it to other teams that you have had, teams that have had success? A lot of those teams have had success. But this team seems to be, as you mentioned earlier, the type of team that they're coming back, they have the experience. But how would you, if you can, compare them to other teams that you've had, especially since they are coming off the seasons they've had? You know, from a pure talent standpoint, I think this one rivals sort of the, 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 those one teams we had. I think one of the things that make well, first of all, I think the O one team we had is the best team since I most talented team since I've been here. I mean, that was in a ridiculously talented right. team up and down. This one is too, uh, a little bit younger. Uh, but what I like this. What I like about this team uh, is they're very calm. I mean, they don't panic, right. and you don't seem to get the highs and lows with this group of guys. I mean, we've had years where we had teams that looked like we were going to win every game, and then there's times they looked like they're going to lose every game. We're very streaky. And this team, however, I just, they're just very they're even keel with the way they play, and they don't seem to panic. And I think that's, that's good, you know, when it's all said. And they're a very self-confident group without being, I think, uh, you know, sort of boastful. And, uh, uh, you know, they, they play the game the right way. So uh, in that sense, I think that'll serve them well. And, they're, you know, this is going into the third year that I think they expect to be a playoff team. And, uh, again, hopefully it'll serve us well when we do get in the postseason. One final thing, Billy. You know, with regard to this team, People have talked about the A's have been a second-half team in the past. I think it's a lot because you've had a turnover personnel, because this team is coming back pretty much intact from the past. How important is it to get off to a good start, and how much do you think that will happen because these guys have been together? Well, I think it will help. I think it would be great to get off to a, 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 a hot start, but I think one of the things we've also learned, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not always the most important thing. I mean, you don't have to get off to a good start. Uh, to get the postseason, I think if anything we've learned over the years that it's a long season. Right. Don't panic, and if if you sort of evaluate, I sort of, we used sort of the first sixty days to kind of well, where are we, who are we, what do we need to do, and you know if you're kind of around that, I always figure if you're kind of around that five hundred right. mark in May and 
in June, what you're going to also have is you're going to have a league that in June and July, some guys are going to just fold their cars. Right. And as long as you sort of, you know, strategize a little bit, make a few ads here and there, and if you stay around 500, you should, we always feel that we could compete. Uh, but it would be a lot easier, Ray, if we jumped out to a big lead <laughs> and, and didn't have to worry about it. But, uh, but again, I, I, don't, I don't think we panic when we don't yeah. get off to a, port, or a great start. Billy, one of the things, uh, and I want to touch today a little bit on the organization itself. Uh, number one, Eric Martins, who has been in the system, and then all of a sudden he gets a chance at the big leagues. How important is it for you in your capacity to stay within the organization, especially someone like that? You lose Matt Williams. He goes to Korea to manage for three years. There's an opening, but yet you stayed in the organization. You bring in Eric Martins up. How important is that to you as an organization, but also for those people who you hire? It's very important. And, and, you know, it's it's something we've always done, myself and David, and, uh, you know, we've always thought that was important. Uh, but the other thing, too, is credit to Bob, too. Yeah. Bob wants those guys. You know, it would be easy for a guy with like Bob who's been around the, you know, been around the big leagues for a long, long time. He's got a lot of friends that he could easily just bring in. But as much as anybody, Bob's the big yeah. proponent of rewarding these guys who have earned the, earned the chance to come up. And, and Eric, you, you know, he's done everything for us. He was a scout. He was a, well, he was a player first, yeah. and then he was a scout for a long time, and he's come up through the minor leagues. He's just uh, – I mean, he's I – mean, when, when, he, when we had the opening, Bob right away says, hey, we got to get Eric up here. So, And it's great to see. And, and it makes for – I think it helps when these guys have all come up together. The players know him. A lot of these guys have all had him. You know, a lot of our players come through the minor leagues. So it just makes everything easier. But, the be, you know, the biggest supporter of this is, is Bob, and that's what's great because you get a veteran manager sometimes. They, you know, they want their own sure. guys because Bob didn't come up through organization. Yeah, right. And uh, it's a real credit to him, and I think it's one of the reasons he's great and one of the reasons guys like working for him. And he wants to win in the green and gold, and that's special about him. I remember in 2011 in Chicago when you came in and you made the change and you hired Bob Melvin. It's been a long time that he's been your manager. How special has he been working with him, you and David working with him? The success is there, but sometimes, you know, you change managers. Remember Tony Russo said it's time to move on. Bob wants to manage. He wants to stay here. What kind of relationship do you guys have that that continues? No, it's been great. And, you know, it's so relaxing. The great thing about Bob is there's just so many things that you, you just don't have to worry about in our position. I mean, he does the right thing. He says the right thing beyond being an outstanding manager. Some of the players, when I, I mean, I don't, you know, you mentioned me going to Chicago. I was literally there one day. <laughs> and, and, Ray, you've been with me my whole career going back to a player. You don't ever see me on the road because I don't have to go on the <laughs> road right. because we have Bob there. Exactly. And, and so uh, one thing I, I've said this many times is, you know, me and Bob are from the same generation. We're like six months apart in age. We play it against each other. We genuinely like each other, even though, they listen, at times it can be intense. Sure. But I think we, uh, uh, you know, Ray respect each other, and I think that's what makes it work so well. And, uh, listen, I feel very lucky to get to work alongside somebody like that. And the great thing about Bob is that every single year he cares just as much as he did the previous year. And he doesn't have to. I mean, a guy, I mean, he could go off and go to the beach and and retire. He's done quite well for himself, but he still has the same drive and intensity, and and, and it's pretty special. What I'm proud of uh, is that Bob's kind of moving up in those uh, rankings when it comes to managers with the Oakland A's, and he's a local guy. And uh, listen, Connie Mack, nobody's ever catching (laughs) Connie Mack, but it's nice to see Bob running up there, and it's it's well-deserved, and hopefully we can get him a lot more wins. And before we go, I have to talk about, I have you talk about one other gentleman who stepped down really as the director of player development, that is Keith Lippman. He's going in the Oakland A's Hall of Fame this coming summer, and it's going to be special for him. I know you have said some great things about him, but what has been special about Keith in that capacity, working with you, working to get players up here, as we see on a, on a regular basis, how special has he been? You know, the first thing that needs to be said about Keith, because you, we could spend uh, you know five shows on what he's done on the field. 
but you, every person will tell you he, this is just a tremendous human being. Yeah. I mean, and really, I think if you look at his role, that's really what makes him great, yeah. is that players, young players, I mean, people who work for him know how much he cares for them as a person. And he is just, he's been such a gift to this organization and for all the people he's touched. And mm-hmm. there's, and honestly, of all the A's, I mean, you know, you've got Ack and Eric, all these guys. The easiest guy to say, like, that guy deserves going to the Hall of Fame is Keith Lippman. And I know he's not a name that, you know, everybody right. knows out there. But anybody, and you know Ray, who's been in this organization, I mean, Keith Lippman is an institution. But, it, but as much as anything, he's an institution as a person. Yeah. He's just an amazing, amazing human being. So it was well-deserved. And we'll be talking about Keith Lippman yeah. in this organization long after all of us are gone. Yeah. Listen, appreciate your time. I, I know you're a very, very busy man, but I always appreciate your time, especially this time of the year. But uh, And we always seem to say it's going to be a special year. I think this year it's going to be. And, and perhaps for the fans in Oakland who have been very, very supportive that this will be a special year for them. Best luck to you. And, again, thanks for your time. Thanks, Ray. And let's do it again next year. Well, we want to thank Paul Himbikides, known as Himbo at ESPN. We want to thank Mark Simon and the Fielding Bible, and also Ray Fossey and Billy Bean. Thank you for listening to A's Unfiltered. Now back to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.